Abraham Lincoln. Louisiana Purchase, that's a name. You need to really get off my balls, okay? I'm gonna kick your ass. Also, why was Michelangelo so stinky? Ew. and welcome to the Ultraman Files. I'm your host, Patrick, and this is the second installment of the new sub-series from AYCH. And uh, just first up, I want to thank you all so much for the big response we got to the Ultraman Files. Like, I was hoping, fingers crossed, there would be a good turnout for the Ultraman show. And yeah, y'all proved me right. This has been a, a big hit, and I appreciate you so much that y'all uh, came out to listen to the show and just over the weekend of its first release there was just a huge outpouring of listens and just like a reception for the episode so i really appreciate that it gave me like a nice boost and they're like okay there really is a audience for the ultraman files on the ayc8s network uh, and it's not just, you know, it's a couple isolated incidents. There really is a cross-section of, like, our listeners who appreciate our general banter, but also a lot of Toku talk and Ultraman talk. So, once again, thank you all so much for coming out in force to really support the first installment of the Ultraman Files. So, getting right to it, this is episode two, and we'll be discussing episode five of Ultraman Decker today. And basically, like before, we're doing some recap and discussion and just like breaking down all the events of the fifth episode of Ultraman Decker. This edition titled The Glutton of the Lake, which sees the Gut Select team dealing with the emergence of a classic Ultraman kaiju, Elekin. And for those you may not be aware, Elekin is just sort of tall bipedal eel like kaiju white with dark black sort of shapes throughout and patterns on its body it has like short arms and almost kind of robotic hands like no finger just a, just a thumb and sort of like a little like almost kind of like a lego hand that's that, that sort of a cupped uh shape a long neck long tentacle neck just almost visor like uh mouth it's sort of like very geometrically shaped with light emitting from it and two spinning horns on its head no visible eyes and uh, this is just like a, a very popular um, long tenured kaiju in the ultraman series and true to ultraman form there is a running connection with ella king and another classic ultraman character the alien pit but we'll get more into that as we start the episode recap proper there's, uh, you just see a big lake and an old man fishing by it and suddenly the Elo King erupts from the lake and it starts sort of like going on a, a little tear through town and that's when it's, you see Kanata and Hanedro and their respective jets sort of like strafing around the area getting a better beat on the kaiju. We have the rest of the Gutsalette team 
supplying support on the ground and it's during the evacuation of the town that Ichika comes in contact with a young girl who's like pleading with her like to get them to call off the attack on the Ella King she's like why would we do that there's a monster attacking this young girl named Yuko says that the Ella King has a name his name is Ellie and he doesn't mean any harm he's just sort of like acting out and Ichika is just very confused and straight away you see this like really cool perspective shot of Yuko running up an alley and she's looking up and it's kind of like at a very sharp angle you see Ella King sort of standing in the foreground as it's being like shot at by the Guts Falcon and the Guts Hawk as they're sort of strafing around it and it's attacking back with its own like electrical beams and during the fracas you know the the stray energy bolts like strike a building and so like all this rubble starts to fall down and directly on top of Yuko and Ichika. Ichika dives over to save Yuko, and then when the rubble and smoke clears, you see Ichika stand up, but the little girl standing across from her is no longer human. She's taken on her true form, that of an alien pit, and alien pit is this classic uh, Ultraman alien species. It looks kind of, like, imagine if you can, it looks sort of like a fly, you know, like a gray face, it's like big bulging eyes, Except like her eyes and sort of part of her face and mantle are like this yellowish color. And in classic Ultraman stories, El King is usually accompanied in some form by a duo of alien pits. One yellow, one magenta. Usually they take on a human form of women, of girls. In this instance, like each of gets just shot. You know, this girl who's just pleading with her just a moment ago is actually an alien. And then before she can really like collect her thoughts, she's hit on the head, just bonk like a stray piece of rubble and she passes out. Sometime later, she you know, she wakes up in the apartment, she doesn't know where she is, and she looks over, she sees the girl again who sort of like, has this bowl of water, it's like, gonna turn to like, put a damp cloth in her head, she starts to freak out, it's like, who are you, why are you here, why are you an alien? And the girl is very quickly like, okay, please understand, I'm just trying to keep things under control, things kinda got a little haywire. And she starts to explain to Ichika that she is an alien pit from the planet pit and how she crash landed on Earth a year ago and so has since been waiting for rescue. But as we discussed last time, that the spear aliens sort of closed off the Earth, like the Earth is trapped inside of this, this barrier so the Earth cannot get any information out and no one can get, get get go in and off the planet. So, like, Earth is still, you know, completely cut off from the rest of space. So, Yuko is just stuck on this planet by herself. And, you know, she, she, like, she shows, like, this little crystal, like, hologram device that shows, like, her mother, the magenta alien pit that's usually the second of the pair. And she discusses how she's just been by herself on this planet trying to make her way and how she, like, misses the rest of her species who are cut off from her because this impassable barrier on the planet earth and this really strikes a chord with Ichika because we saw way back in the first episode that Ichika has this this real empathy for like the space refugees essentially the people who are cut off from earth you know whether it be travelers whether it be on the the, the off-planet colonies or people who are like Stuck, stuck in transit who are like basically circling in space and they can't land so 
this really touches on Ichika's heart strings and she's trying to figure out like what she needs to do to help her and then going d- deeper in her stories like wait hold on I get that's your plight but what's the deal with the kaiju how do you know the kaiju why does he have a name and Yuko goes on to say that Ellie is her pet she adopted it as like a baby like literally like a larva like she has a she goes in her flashback and she has like this bowl of water with like a larva Ella King in it and it's really cute making all these like little like cute squeaky noises but it kind of looks like the prop the puppet looks like a chest burster from Alien but kind of like modified to look kind of like an Ella King so like maybe this little baby worm in a bucket of water is really cute and basically saying that she lived on Earth by herself all this time and just sort of the one thing that kind of kept her going and like kind of gave her hope was like her pet but unfortunately due to her loneliness she sort of like overindulged the pet like because elkins feed on energy they feed on electricity she sort of just would just work and then just come home and just like kind of feed it feed it feed it she, she started off giving it batteries and like the baby alien would just sort of like suck up the energy and then the more it fed, the more it grew and it matured. So you see, like, like toddler elephant is kind of looks like the stuffed animal kind of baby doll. It's still super cute. God, I can't get over how cute the aliens look in this episode. And so she's like sneaking around trying to find ways to keep it sated. And the more she feeds it, the bigger it grows, and to the point where it's now human size fully mature and it has this just like fun moment of like what would be the typical kaiju suit but it's on like regular human proportions so like she's waving goodbye to ellie because she can no longer keep it in her apartment it's gotten too large and it's gotten its appetite is just too big so she leads it out to a lake it's like okay this is where you're gonna stay until i can find what i need for you and so she has like this little routine she does with it like she'll do a pose like she'll hold her arms up hold her arms out stand in one leg and ellie will sort of mimic her and that's like a little routine they have so she goes every day to feed it but because it's gotten so used to just like abundance of electricity coming from her sort of feeding it but also just sort of the, the nature of earth it like sneaks away and like feeds on its own like it goes up to someone's house in the neighborhood and it's like it starts like kind of like pawing at the windows like i want in i want food and then he sort of uh ends up causing like intermittent blackouts across the city because like it's just eating so much and that's why it's you know typical kaiju size it's just eaten so much and grown so fast that it's sort of completely gotten out of hand for yuko so it's just like what do i do it's like this is this is the one thing that's kind of kept me happy and sane while i've been stuck on this planet and like that object of affection is like in danger now because like it's sort of acting out it's no longer able to be sated and by normal means so after she tells this to yuko yuko's like really sort of conflicted because obviously she feels for yuko and ellie's plight but she knows that because ellie has sort of overgrown its bounds and so it's not really listening to yuko anymore it's like she does she realizes that ellie presents a danger to the rest of the world because it's just this giant roving kaiju like as docile as it seems from time to time it's still 
like quote an animal and it, it has very real needs to feed and like obviously no matter how docile a pet may be when it comes to food it's going to sort of defer back to basic instincts to have those needs met no matter how well and how familiar it is with its owner which i think is a pretty neat concept to bring out for a little kids show and one thing i always liked about ultraman is that it's been good to paint kaiju and and the aliens with a nuanced brush because obviously this is a kids show and it's, it's about action like fighting monsters and aliens but they still do a good job of like showing that not all aliens and monsters are just chaotic evil they just every single creature is just living for the destruction of the human race like it shows that while yes there are destructive monsters and kaijus and aliens there's still plenty of instances where some aliens are just trying to get by there they have needs just like humans they have fears and wants and desires and they care for things and i think this is a really good example of ultraman continuing that story of like quote humanizing these aliens that that despite how different they may be there's a lot of commonalities which like which is not it's a good message to 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 show kids that there's nuance in the world no even the things you think are scary may not be what you think they are (laughs) also i forgot that uh when the when the elo king is like pawing at the window that just reminds me of that video that goes around of like the woman in australia who just sees a big scary kangaroo just like swatting at the window with its claws it, it, it was like it was pretty much like that video just like elking patting at the window like a like a big burly kangaroo it was very that very good ichika is at a crossroad now she kind of doesn't know what to do so she goes back to headquarters goes back to gut selection and starts asking around so she talks to uh hanajiro the little robot buddy if that if there's any sort of like power sources that guts happen to have access to that she can perhaps look into and she says oh when hanadiro says well there is the mega earth which is essentially this portable generator that's so advanced that it's capable of powering an entire city for three days and it's one of like gut selects new invention you know because there have been these roving back blackouts because of ella king acting out she's like okay that's really interesting um i'm gonna take that but don't tell anyone and so she sneaks away and so there's a great little bit where the robot has like a turn the cameras like gut select members really do have a bunch of secrets don't they that referring to asami having his like confidant within hydrator is like he knows he's ultraman and he's not telling anybody ichika sneaks away to find a generator and while she's doing that ryumon and asami are sitting in the elevators like you know ichika sure has been acting weird ever since she came she came back and she was just you know no contact for hours so like this this is really unlike her and then as they're going down the elevator they see her like comically sneaking away with the power generator and then they sort of like find her and confront her. It's like, what is this? This is definitely not like you. So they kind of rat her out to the boss, to the to the um, principal slash captain uh, Murahoshi, and she sort of like tells them the story about Yuko about Yuko and Ellie, and how she understands that 
Ellie presents a danger, but it's sort of just, just this bad circumstance. So, you know, Yuka's kind of a refugee. She's stuck on, planet, on the planet Earth by herself, and Ellie was her only companion. And Murahoshi is sort of, like, stoic for a moment, and he has, he has this moment where he reprimands her. It's like, you shouldn't have gone behind our backs to do this. This really sort of kind of hurts my trust in you. But then he sort of has this this really nice moment where he says also you shouldn't have assumed that the tpu that guts isn't a reasonable organization and because ichika just sort of naturally assumed that because you know there was this danger with ellie attacking that they would naturally want to dispose of it and he real and he says it's like it's a great line we're all victims of despair of course we would have sympathy so even though the guts and tpu is this big organization that's for the like fighting of aliens for the protection of earth they realize through the years of of alien interaction that there is nuance with their with the past encounters with aliens so they're willing to go out to help these individuals so so ichika is relieved so they take the generator down to the lake to feed ellie and then um while that's happening, the, uh, Yuko and Ichika have, you know, they're sort of like very, very happy, very pleased, is able to work out. Ichika reveals that she, she too had a dog, uh, which is, <laughs> it's just great bit because when she's flashing back to quote her dog, it's literally like someone's like iPhone camera footage of a dog, like a Shiba Inu, like, and she says how, you know, her, she loved her dog, and she kind of, like, overindulged it. She fed it too much, and it got fat. And it's just... It's, I mean, you have, like, like high-quality video, then just, sort of like, suddenly cuts, like, someone's, like, camera footage. It, it's, a, it's a funny bit. I get, And plus, like, it kind of really, I guess, makes that moment more sincere and, like, intimate. As an aside, you see Ryomon and Asami having a little chat where it's like, you know what, it's pretty impressive that Yuko came all the way to Earth by herself and she's just been living on her own this whole time with just her pet. So they, they, they sort of like, you know, they commend her on her steadfastness. But then suddenly, Ellie starts to act out because because the generator was just like this huge concentration of energy, like far more than Ellie has ever been indulged on. So it just like absorbs all this energy and it kind of loses control it's like its body is just absorbed too much and it's just it starts acting out it starts thrashing and firing off energy waves and it runs off into the city and and so like they realize oh this is serious so they have to try to get this under control the best they can so and the clatter and the confusion uh somebody sneaks away transforms into decker and then he's confronts Ellie and this is really cool it's not fully night but kind of like this very late dusk because there's still like a little bit of sunlight so it's that 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 purple on the horizon it's a, it's a really cool like uh day effect and so Ellie's like dr- draining like this transformer there's like all these big power poles and it's starts the battle and, and Ellie has this really long tail that all Ellie Kings do start swatting at Decker, like, coiling him up and shocking him and just, like, blasting him with electricity. Decker tries to get the other hand by using one of his uh, kaiju companions, uh, Miklos, like, from the episode the other day, but Ellie's just so overcharged, it sort of shocks 
Meek Lawson sort of dispels him. It's at this moment that Decker is kind of have his back against the wall. Like, he has to defend himself. He has to stop the Kaidi from rampaging, but he still sympathizes with their plight. So he's like, I just need something to help them out. I just need a miracle. And sort of that moment is when Asami gets this, gets a new power. He gets a, a new card for Ultraman Decker, Miracle type. It's, just, it's the blue form that's been shown in the opening so far. And it's sort of, basically it's an, a form that uses like psychic powers and like other sort of magical abilities to fight. And so when he assumes this new form, uh, he sort of he teleports out of the out of the grasp of the tail, and and there's a really cool effect. It's a, I think they did a great job on the CG here. So he's sort of like hovering in place, and there's like this surging, radiating like cocoon of energy around him. That's like this uh, glowing like rainbow spectrum of energy. It's like it's a great effect. But one thing I forgot. There's a great bit, but right before he summons the ability where he's been fighting Ellie, but he goes to, like, chop it. It cowers and looks back up, and it starts to mimic his movements like it did with Yuko. Like, he, Decker's, like, going through all these little, like, poses. He does the uh, the pose for the beam, and he does it back. He reaches his hands up. He goes to, he starts, like, oh, this is okay. He goes to pet it, and then if it's a trick, El King, like, grabs him in, like, a headlock. He fights away. He's, oh, man, I've been swindled. And there's another great bit where... Uh, Decker straight up hits a V trigger, channels Kenny Omega, hits a V trigger right in El King's chest. Sorry, that's just a great bit. I had to go back for for a beat there, but yeah, Decker is in uh, miracle form now, and he does a a bit where he's staving off this massive attack of electricity, basically just like this huge shock wave. Is Ellie's just sending giant bolts of lightning every which way. Decker holds up his energy shields. And then, as he's holding the shield that one, he reaches to his chest and throws up this energy ball. Basically, creates this giant version of the chest plate that he has in his body. And it becomes like this portal and starts sucking up all the electricity that Ella King is dis- discharging. And then it goes a step further and starts draining the energy out of its body. And he just continues until all the excess energy has been sucked out of Ellie, basically reverting it back into like a tadpole, back to its larval form. And he sends Ellie back down to the ground where Yuko and Ichika have been watching the whole time. And so he uh, departs in a vortex of rainbow energy, cuts back to the guts of let where uh, Kaizaki, that is the second command of up guts she's sort of giving <laughs> murahoshi a scolding it's like you didn't you didn't tell me that this is your plan that you're gonna feed the kaiju you went behind my back too like you scolded Ichika for doing for you and and basically kind of being a little too passionate kind of leading by emotion a little too much but that just shows that you know murahoshi has a has a heart as much as his subordinates and that's why he hired him because he he saw their compassion and their empathy, Ichika especially for like the specifically like the refugees of like the, of the spear attacks and the space travel. And so there's just there's a cute little moment. It's like you know you're not so different from your proteges. And um, in order to prevent this from happening again, Kaizaki makes this sort of like video for proper instruction 
on how to care for Elgin. Make sure that he doesn't go out of control again, doesn't turn into a giant again. Episode ends with Yuko and Ichika in in Yuko's apartment, um, playing with Ellie, now a tadpole, in his bowl of water, and basically Yuko learning the proper way to feed her pet, but also to discipline him. Because I think... The whole episode is a is a message of for little kids to know the proper way to take care of their pets, which you know I think is good because a lot of kids ask for dogs, ask for cats, and you know their first instinct is to sort of like to play with it or kind of just to feed it whenever they get the chance. But you know that's not good for a pet. You can't just feed a cat or dog or any pet just anytime it want. You know that you're overindulge it, it'll get fat or it gets unhealthy, or if we don't properly train it, it'll go out of control and just sort of make a make problems for everybody so i think this is a a really good little plot for the kids honestly it's probably my favorite episode so far it was like really cute a lot of just like cute little characters but with like the the various stages of ella king as a as a larva as a baby and then it growing up and like having these like cute little interactions with yuko and it was just a really sweet story, and, and plus, like, Ichika being, like, the focus of the episode. It's really nice to see a spotlight shown on the other characters in the series. And fairly early, too. Like, this is episode five, and Ichika's already getting, like, a, a spotlight episode, which is really cool, because I like her character. She's very empathetic, and this was just a really sweet episode. I, I It's, like I said, it's definitely my favorite of the bats so far. Another thing about the new form the miracle type how it's sort of based around like about psychic powers and like moving uh without causing destruction it really calls to mind ultraman cosmos which was a ultra series where it sort of plays a lot more into the softer side of ultraman where ultraman's known for like fighting kaiju making you know making these big battles and spectacles but because they always show a different side of their monsters that, you know, maybe they're not all bad or, or you know, there are other ways to deal with a problem other than violence. And because Ultraman Cosmos was essentially a pacifist ultra. Basically, every week he fought, quote, quote, he fought Kaiju, but he never killed them. He, was all, he always found a way to assuage the monster like send it away or render it inert and he never really came to blows but he always found a way to like redirect energy and it's very like soft like fluid movement sort of like redirecting energy and just like finding a non-violent way to contend with a an issue and which i think was a really good message to show like you know this range of of stories and characters that you can do and like it's it, it, to me it, it, it's a great i really love this episode and i think i think it, it, this was a, a great moral message to to send out for the kids to, to listen to that's kind of heads and tails of the episode it, it was it was pretty uh short and sweet uh emphasis on sweet it's, it was a good time i really enjoyed this one and next week's episode is actually a clip show like very surprisingly that the sixth episode of the series is basically a recap of everything so far and you know recap episodes are by no means new or foreign ultimate they all there's always at least a couple recaps per season but this comes very early because usually you don't get like a recap until like gosh like maybe halfway through a season or episode like 20 or so but 
I'm doing a recap early, strangely enough. Anyhow, uh, I think the most interesting thing about the recap episode is the character that they're teasing for it, literally titled The Return of Marlulu, which is the alien buddy from Trigger, and Marlulu being a Meton, uh, basically a enemy alien species for Ultraman, like we discovered in this episode and, and many times other over in the series, that just because it's an alien species or a kaiju doesn't mean it's naturally an enemy. And Marluru is just an example of that. They, they were like a heroic alien species fighting alongside humanity and Ultraman to help save the day. And Marluru was one of my favorite characters from Trigger. And I know I have my ups and downs with Trigger, but Marluru was, was definitely like a favorite. And it's really cool to see them back so soon. And, they're just like a very like knowledgeable kind of like nerdy like tech alien and you know I'm, I'm just I'm so happy to see them back so I'll, although I definitely will sort of like contemplate if that's going to be an episode I like actively cover just be like oh yeah Marley's back but on any case um, that's kind of the the overview of ep- episode five glutton delay great episode please go check it out it gets, gets definitely gives it a hearty recommendation from the Ultraman files Alright, now that we wrapped up episode discussion, we're going to move on to the, the second part of our episode, which is discussing of the new Redman comics. So we're going to take a break real quick and be right back with you. Hang tight. Welcome back to the Ultraman Files, Episode 2. And in this portion of the show, we'll be getting into the Redman comics with issue number two releasing uh, this past Wednesday. Just to get into a little bit of what Redman is, in case you don't know, Redman is this short-form series that was a part of this uh, Japanese kid show from 1972 called Ohio Kodomo Show. Basically, it's a series of five-minute shorts, 138 different miniature episodes that were made over the course of this program. And basically, it features the titular Redman coming into combat with various Ultraman like monsters and kaijus and aliens and it's just five minutes of a Tokuhiro fighting a monster and beating him and that's it. I mean it's pretty straightforward super low budget even by Super Raya's standards because it was just literally an excuse for them to reuse suits like like he would, he would end up fighting multiple of of the kaiju like several different points over the course of these almost 140 episodes. If it was just that, then maybe this would be like a very much like a just a blip on the Toku radar. But what makes it interesting is that first of all, Redman is basically this reinvigoration of an original concept for Ultraman because Ultraman one of its earliest concepts and earliest names was Redman because Ultraman had like this predominantly red design, but that idea was sort of put to the side and they sort of reused that name for this character and Redman having like, you know, even a more predominant red uh, design fashion has like almost like this strange 
crown-like structure on its on its head, like a long, almost puppet-like nose, two antennae with little balls on top coming out. Why it kept, sort of like came back into pop culture awareness is that in 2016, like Japanese YouTube memes were sort of really circling these old videos around because while ostensibly Red Man is a hero, like Ultraman, he's like, He's, he is this extraterrestrial entity living inside a human host and like protecting the world from monsters. But because all of these shorts were just really no context, no dialogue videos, it's just you just a lot of times would see a kaiju just wandering around in like a quarry or the woods, minding its own business. Then all of a sudden, red men would jump out and just start beating the crap out of it. And usually they would end up in just like surprisingly violent struggle like obviously there's not like even like blood or gore but he'll just have like a really just brutal fighting style like there, i remember there was one episode where he's fighting a kaiju just picks up and just chunks him off a cliff just yeets him off the cliff tumbles all the way down and just it's just dead and because it's low budget, there's not like a leaning explosion. So you just like, you see the mangled suit at the bottom of a cliff. Or one time where he's like fighting the kaiju, knocks it down the ground, starts punching the hell out of it. It's like beating across its face. And then when it's trying to fight back, he takes his knife and just jams it into its neck. Like it's just surprisingly stark in its like violence. Because this sort of like really just dissonant rage that is a part of this character, it sort of became like a meme that Redman is just a psychopath. It's just this roving Michael Myers type psychopath that just hunts down innocent kaiju. Like these kaiju have done nothing wrong to anybody, but he just shows up and just kills the crap out of them. It's really funny to watch some of these old videos like, there's one where the kaiju's just walking around and he just gets drop kicked out of nowhere by Red Man. He starts just killing it. It's so funny. And basically, this comic takes that concept and runs with it. Because, like, Subaraya has basically, like, endorsed this interpretation of, of Red Man that he's just this killer of kaiju for no real reason. And basically, they gave Matt Frank, who's a well-known comic book artist, who's done tons of Godzilla comic book series, and just well-known in the Toku like, community for being like a great comic book artist and does a great job with kaiju. And he's really like he's on point with his kaiju comics and design, and he has a lot of just like classic kaiju references from Ultraman in this book. Because even though the issue two and issue one came out this month and last month respectively, it's actually a reprint because the original Red Man comics by Matt Frey came out in 2018. And basically because Super Eye is having this big push with Ultraman and like bringing it to like the States and like just greater awareness in America... They thought, well, that kind of includes all of our properties, so we're re-releasing Ultraman because there's, because next week there's the, the third, um, miniseries of Ultraman from Marvel Comics. So like having like two Ultra series essentially 
running concurrently, it's, it's, it's going to be like just more Toku goodness for you. And basically, this segment would be kind of like overviewing the first two issues of the Red Man comic. And what I think is a really interesting choice with the with the comic as a whole is that it opens each issue with like an old TV set sort of blinking on and like you know with the fuzz and the snow coming to life. And the first issue has Red Man fighting a classic Ultra Kaiju Arstron. It's like this lizard, you know reptilian dinosaur like kaiju the series itself is pretty much no dialogue it's just just the inclement sound effects of the monster fighting and the violence and but it, it does have some dialogue basically there's just nameless narrator that is explaining the the set how just just this unnamed planet that sort of rather stark it's just creatures trying to survive and trying to make it day to day make it to the end of the day if that and you see like this little this this herd of red mind which is like the, like the, another classic kaiju uh pig mind just like very sort of like shrimpy passive kaiju like little skeletal hands like poking out of its chest i mean it, it's it's description is literally the helpless kaiju red mind because each monster that appears is given like you know a little descriptor like when arston appears like they're attacking the red mon herd and eating them alive it's given the description of the violent monster like all um ultra kaiju they have like this little like red baron type introduction the the violent monster the star monster the underground monster and so forth so basically arston is just like terrorizing the the savannah and then like in the middle of all this fracas, like, a figure appears, and he sort of roars to see nothing but, like, dust clouds. So it sort of starts to saunter off. And then as the dust starts to stir back up, he notices a, that figure come forth, and it's just really, like, cool two-page spread. It's almost a little chilling. You just see Red Man appear from the smoke to confront Arstron. And... It really goes into like this kind of like brutal fight because Red Man just sort of jumps right to it. He starts like hits Arstron in the throat. He starts kind of wrenching his jaws apart. And then when Arstron tries to like fling it away, he just gets punched repeatedly back and forth. This blood dripping away from Red Man's fist. And when Arstron tries to fight back with a blast of fire, he sort of sneaks away behind Arstron and just sort of wails on it with a log and it's just really pretty like devastating fight like he comes out and just like strikes Arstron across the throat with a with a red old chop like like, like barely like really leaning into like the like the Japanese pronunciation of like English words red old chop and then Arstron goes down in a heap and then Red Man declares himself victory with like a salute in the air and then as he holds the pose, he sort of just quietly resumes his endless walk. And I think that's like a really interesting interpretation that they decide to give this comic is that Red Man is just like this almost indefatigable force that he exists for no reason almost. Like he's just there to hunt kaiju. And it's like, it's this really kind of like dark and like morbid story like well like well it's like it's a great like looking book and i loved i i read this my trade of the first five issues of red man like several times and it makes a pretty captivating story despite very minimal dialogue and 
and just to see like he he almost feel bad for Red Man in a in a certain respect because like he has like this compulsion to fight kaiju and he doesn't know why that he just he has like these life and death struggles on a daily basis multiple times a day with any kaiju he comes across but he just he doesn't know why he does it he just fights a kaiju kills it and moves on to the next like he just this endless hunt called the red hunt that he's on and and you really see like he's just like this weird monstrous figure like even in a world full of monsters he is the most dangerous thing. He is the monster to them. I just think that's a really cool concept. And each issue kind of ends with a pullback on the action. You see a camera, an old real, real camera, like hiding in the woods somewhere, cut into like a hazy black and white shot of, of Red Man walking away and see like these, these sort of like clawed hands changing at the dial. It sort of frames that the old 1970s shorts are like were part of this like weird alien overview like they're filming red man on on his endless hunt up for kaiju and so like they get entertainment from watching him just slaughter just like animals essentially and so like building this like greater mystery like who are these observers why are they doing this like why is this allowed to happen and like what exactly the the point of it all and then issue two uh, features, which, you know, it was a, a, an awesome cover. It's just Red Man standing in the center with, like, his red spear drawn high, his knife in his other hand, just surrounded on a sea of, like, recognizable kaiju faces from across the Ultra series. It's a great cover. And then the second issue called Red Fight 2 Icarus basically sees this, like, very timid kaiju called the star monster Icarus like big ears kind of like fluffy fur coat kind of scaly body looks almost just like it like a cute animal like it's just running terrified through like these desiccated wood it looks almost like a like a forest that's been burned down it's just like you see these dark thin twig like trees reaching high in the sky with just like smoke and ash everywhere it's sort of like fleeing through the woods in it, but it's sort of seen that it's like very desperate to escape and you see red man sort of just emerge from like the gray and the soot with these just burning red eyes and you see icarus sort of like reach for shelter in the hollow of a tree and it just shows like what a sad world it is that well even though yes that red man is just sort of like methodically just attacking kaiju whenever he can like, the world itself is still a dangerous place, even without red men hunting down kaiju for no good reason. Because, like, even, like, small monsters like Icarus are just struggling to get through a single day with all the other dangerous, like, predators in the in the woods in the area. And you see Icarus sort of, like, trying to sleep hungrily, trying to, like, for, forget its hunger, hunger pains, and he has, like, this nightmare of, like, running away from red men as it's, like, slaughtering all these other kaiju famously uh red king you see a, a famous ultra kaiju sometimes known as corn godzilla this way has like a very like corn like like body scale like body shape and the scales and um and it's it been like skewered by multiple red spears and he has like this dramatic cl- climax to its dream which is like this even more monstrous form of red man descending upon him he wakes up with the tree that it's hiding and being like ripped away and you just see like this 
like shadowed red man standing over it with just like burning red eyes glaring down at it and then right as red man would attack another kaiju burst from the trees the subterranean monster gudon basically just like kind of large pot belly armored kaiju with long spike tendrils and long antenna like horn coming up ahead and it sort of grabs red man at tentacles and starts like slinging around smashing up the woods and red man summons his knife to to slice off one of its tentacles blood squirting everywhere the two race into a headlong confrontation red man tried to drive his knife into gudon's head but gudon throws his head back flinging Redman over his shoulder, crashing to the ground. And then, like, <laughs> just a cold-hearted move, <laughs> Redman just grabs a, a fleeing Icarus by the scruff of his neck and just flings it at him, just like... And while it's crying all the way, Yudon just, like, sl- just dodges the hurtling kaiju and then, as distracted, Redman r- lunges forward in anime samurai fashion, slices... And then a moment later, Gudon's head falls to the side, blood squirting from its stump. And then as Icarus like sort of like comes to for me, like basically fastballed special through the woods, he sees Red Man once again standing over him with just like a bloody drenched knife ready to like strike them down. But then suddenly Red Man is sort of like struck with this like electrical shock, like this like shivering sensation, like at the back of the neck, and then his whole body is just sort of like seized with electricity. Clutching his head, Red Man sort of like stumbles away, leaving Icarus confused and l- alone in the woods. And as Red Man draws away, and you see the the panel zoom in on another hidden camera, as like the weird alien observers view more red man footage seemingly another ultra villain the human cicadas is pretty self-explanatory this very like giant cicada head on a human body and you just see that this lone uh cicada head poking out of the darkness featureless eyes gazing at the tv and and on and that ends up uh issue two and they're short reads, but like I just love the Red Man book so much because it's just a really just a feast for the eyes. Matt Frank's comics, you know, art is so good. He really kills his kaiju designs, and you and I just love the way he he does kaiju art, and really just doing a great job of of telling a story with little to no dialogue, and it's just the action between. Red Man and the kaiju that he encounters, and like it, it's a it tells it tells a great story, and from from just his visuals alone, and you know that that's a that's a mark of a of an efficient storyteller that you can still get your point across with no dialogue, and I think he he really succeeds here. So Red Man comics are they're, they're back again. They're um, releasing monthly, or excuse me, it should be monthly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they release it monthly now. So if you're interested in seeing more Toku stuff out there outside of YouTube, outside of the um, the moving pictures, please check out your local comic book store and see if they can order you uh, the Redman comics. And like I said, next week will be a the first issue of the Mystery of Ultra 7, the third miniseries by Marvel with the in collaboration with 
Super Rye and Ultraman. So I'm excited to read that. Excited to talk to you all about that because, like I said in the in the first episode, it, it's not going to be just talking about the show. It's basically everything Ultraman encompasses and everything that's coming out. If I could get my hands on some Ultraman stuff outside the show, I'm going to talk about that too. So that's sort of the heads and tails of Red Man. And uh, episode 5, so I think I'll be uh, signing off for Ultraman Files this week. So thank you all so much for listening to the second installment. And again, I appreciate it. It means the world to me that y'all came out to listen to episode 1. I really would like to continue with this series. And I think that uh, we're in in good shape to continue forward with that. So thank you all again for that. Be sure to follow us wherever podcasts are found. Follow the AYCH Network on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found. We're there. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on all those places. Helps us out, keeps us visible, puts in front of new people. We always appreciate you when you do it. If you're listening to this episode the week it comes out, that means on Monday, August 8th, there was a brand new episode of AYCH where Colton Wenzel reviewed Thor, Love and Thunder. And while the fourth installment of the Thor series may have been a worldwide success, it may not have the same effect with Colton Wenzel. They have some very hot takes about a very big Marvel movie, and I think it'd be worth your time to see some differing opinions on a big Marvel affair. And on Thursday, August 11th, there was a brand new episode of Cage and Greatness. Our spinoff show it is an uncaged edition where we talk, where the Cage crew, they talked about a B-movie that was chosen by their fans, by their listeners, through a Twitter poll. They had to watch the infamous full moon horror movie known as The Ginger Dead Man. So both those episodes, great fun. Please go check those out. And lastly, you can follow me, Patrick, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at John Lost His Name. All right, this is Pat signing off for the Ultraman Files. You all take care of yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. And because I like doing it last time, I'm going to stick with my sign-off. Heading off to the skies with a hearty shoo-watch. Watch.